Retro Hangover, supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Studstill Smash, the Milkman, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon, JC, Megan Caruso, Masked Keaton, Andrew Lagori, Ozzy Garcia, The Retro Vixen, Adam from The Good, The Bad, The Backlog, Thunderdome Gaming Society, Lucas Lobo, Jenny E, Rick Firestone, Keith Gasper, Dave Jackson, Eric Guess, Kayla Jackson, Nomad from the Retro Wildlands Podcast, and Ash Event. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Welcome to The Flight, a consumable curation of champions and catastrophes that is considerate of your chronometer. Thankfully, we have not been shuttered by now, and because we haven't been shuttered, I'm still Chris Goldplain of the Retro Hangover Podcast, and I am joined by the Shane, not quite canceled, Dick Dragon Koski. Well, certainly not How for a lack of trying. That's 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 for we- sure. We have tried. Not hard enough, apparently. We need we need <laughs> to get not. we need to start posting more spicy things on Twitter. I mean, That's honestly, we all we apparently all we really need to do, at least in context of this episode, is uh just, you know, just get involved with EA. Well yeah, that too. We'll get shut I mean, down real fucking quick. <laughs> you have been bought by EA. You're going to die. I'm in danger. <laughs> I'm surprised Bioware's still around. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, kind of a preview for that episode. This episode is I just just kind of a like I want to say honorable mention. And me offline, me and Shane kind of talked about this. I did not know Maxis was still alive. <laughs> I had no idea. I thought they were dead, but they're here, so they're not I mean, part of this te- list. Technically, it's like Weekend at Bernie's. They you just know. like trotted out. It's like Maxis is coming out with the Sims. Remember Maxis? And everyone's like, "Hey, where's Sim City?" And like, shut up. It's just a shambling husk with a, a Maxis outer coating. It's awful. There's so many companies I wish I could list that are technically still around. That I just feel bad for because of the previously aforementioned EA. But I'm sure. Let me take a look at my list. Are we going to be talking about EA later? I don't think I will be. I'm sure you will be based off that little preview. Mm. And that's that's a good segue into just kicking off this list because this is a list of our top five game companies that have been shuttered. So they, they don't exist anymore. And I, I guess there might be some qualifiers on mine. Maybe. I'm not sure about yours. But let's just get into it. Shane, let's go. Number five. Okay, well, starting off my list at the number five spot is Black Isle Studios. Oh, wow. They're so gone. Black Isle was around from 1996 to 2003, and they are perhaps most well known for developing Fallout 1 and 2, 
and uh, publishing the uh, a, a little a little a little niche game series maybe somebody's heard of called Baldur's Gate. So uh, they listen, man. Like in the mid to late '90s, Black Isle was like synonymous with like the RPG royalty of the PC gaming space. And, uh, with good reason, I mean, having fallout one and two under their belt and then being the publisher for the Baldur's Gate series was a huge deal. But, uh, unfortunately they were to be short lived and, uh, were ended were shuttered in, in 2003. And, uh, a lot of us old, old grognards around here kind of wish that they had persisted because we, we would have loved to have seen what they would have come up with, uh, after that. So fortunately there are several companies nowadays that I think have sort of picked up that CRPG torch, um, and done it, you know, done it proud. But, uh, there's always a little bit of something in the back of our minds of like, man, what if, what if Black Isle had been able to, you know, continue doing what they were doing? So they probably would have been bought by EA, like Bioware. Yeah. I mean, probably, but so maybe maybe that's more of like a Batman <laughs> scenario, you know. You just uh, they did not li- live long enough to see themselves become the villain. So maybe that was the the good ending after all. Yes. Okay, my number five is a little bit more mainstream. It is THQ, uh, which yes. went from 1991 to 2012. Uh, did THQ make a lot of good games? Debatable. I, I know they made. The N64 wrestling games, which is primarily why they're on this list. I also think they made Darkstalkers before they closed down. They had a ton of shit games, too, which is also probably why they shut down. I think they also had, like, the U-Draw on the Wii, which made a lot of money, and then they tried to make it on other systems, and it, like, literally bankrupted them. But they <laughs> they had a lot of, like, they ported a lot of good games. They published a lot of good games. Like, I wouldn't say they had a ton of bangers. Like, they didn't have a bunch of Game of the Year type games, but they were like that middle-of-the-line publisher that you know you could go to to at least get a solid experience. They weren't quite AAA, but they were in the same ballpark, and they were just overall solid. Like, a lot of their titles... I'm sure everyone has had a title from THQ that they can look back on and like, I like that game or I know that game or I enjoyed my time with it. I mean, I just feel like we probably want to mention that they, they were also involved in Red Faction and Saints Row. That's those are absolutely big Red deals. Faction. Big, big game. Red Faction. Uh, a lot of the SpongeBob games, some Sonic the Hedgehog games. Mm-hmm. They there's just so many things that like you probably don't know they were involved in publishing because they're attached to other companies. Right. And I think they're like solely responsible for Red faction actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that was internally developed. Yeah. Yeah. Great game by the way, especially for the time. Fantastic. So yeah, THQ was a, is a company that technically they kind of revived, but it's not the same. So yeah, THQ is, is my number five in those like THQ Nordic, but that's not THQ respect the original. Number four. All right. Well, my number four is Neversoft. Hmm. So Neversoft uh, began way back in the night in the days of the 1990s. So 1994 and uh, managed to stretch all the way until 2014 when they eventually got uh, merged into Infinity Ward and kind of officially became a non-entity at that point. Uh, But they were responsible for uh, Tony Hawk, first of all, 
and the Guitar Hero series. So nice. two giant game series. And then honestly, after that, like, uh, you know, they, they got moved off of the Guitar Hero series in favor of another developer. And then as is the case with a lot of development houses, they kind of had a little bit of a slow death where they stopped working on a lot of, you know, big name titles or at least big name stuff that they were solely working on and instead just kind of got assigned to like assisting other dev shops with getting stuff out the door kind of a deal, which is a little bit of a shame especially with this pedigree that they had for creating two of the most recognizable franchises in, you know, modern video gaming history. Uh, not to mention like just their logo is like peak, like nineties, uh, and early two thousands, like edge just with like, you know, the O being an eyeball that's like pierced by like a spear and shit. Just, just mm, absolute hot topic. Shit is what I'm saying. You got to go with the hot topic. That's obviously the, a key choice, key indicator for Shane right there. If you could sell that is it true. in a hot topic, mm-hmm. he's there. Yeah, definitely. My number four is more of a, you know, just JRPG fan choice, I have to say. And I have to get one of those in there, of course, because a lot of them are still around. But I am choosing Working Designs, hmm. which was founded in 1986 and closed down in 2005. If You've been following the show. You know, I'm a huge JRPG fan. And in the mid-90s, actually every time before the mid-90s, up until Final Fantasy VII came out, no one really gave a shit about the more obscure Japanese games. In fact, a lot of us didn't even know what Japan was getting that we weren't. We just kind of knew that Japan got video games. And this was especially true for RPGs. So Working Designs provided a lot of those translations and even systems that we didn't have a lot for. So they they provided translations for and localizations for games on the TurboGrafx CD, on the Sega CD, and on the Sega Saturn. So you want to talk about a, a company that's just doing it for the love of the game. I mean, because they certainly weren't chasing money on those systems. Because, <laughs> um, yeah. But they provided great translations, great localizations of games that otherwise would not have made it over here. And they did a fantastic job and that they kind of gained some popularity when they moved over to the PlayStation and did Lunar the Silver Star Story complete. And they really haven't truly been replicated since. I know that Exceed has come close. I would say that they're very close, but that was that was a hallmark of working designs when they would bring over their products, especially starting after the Sega CD and even kind of with the Sega CD that their the games they would publish would come in extremely high quality. They had embossed gold lettering on their Sega CD games with like ultra series and stuff like this and really nice detailed manuals with translation notes. And then you got into the PlayStation era and they would have like leather bound manuals with all sorts of collectors edition goodies. And this would be the standard edition that would release right off the get. And it was just such a tribute to fans of the genre and people who followed them And like I said, it just, I don't get that feeling from any other major company, like publisher today. And it's, it's sad that they went away. And I I understand that they're not necessarily needed anymore just because localization has become more trivial over time. But Working Designs was really a company that in, in its time was critical to the enjoyment of anyone who like was 
more into niche games and niche genres. So working designs, I salute you. I miss you. You're my number four pick. Yeah, that's a good pick. I like that. Yeah, the level of quality that they included in those releases is just like astounding. Yes. I will say that maybe don't necessarily agree with some of their difficulty tweaks on those ports, but that's that's a different oh. topic for another day. Yeah, they were they had some controversial choices that I definitely don't agree with, but yeah, still but, but overall, yeah, definitely definitely solid. Number three. All right, my middle of the pack, my number three is Visceral Games. So they started in 1998, actually, as a subsidiary of EA. You might you you, you might know where where this is going. Oh, um, no. They were uh, originally called EA Redwood Shores. And then right around the time that they uh, developed a little thing called Dead Space, they uh, were rebranded as Visceral Games. And uh, they were then responsible for the entirety of the Dead Space series. And then they got done real fucking dirty by EA. Shocker, I know. Since uh, Dead Space 2 didn't really meet their sales expectations. So they essentially forced Visceral to turn Dead Space 3 into what it eventually turned out to be, which was a more action-oriented co-op game. For a series that was about survival horror, because this makes sense, and we all know how that turned out. And then, when that was a huge fucking disappointment, EA was just like, Welp, you guys are done. And Visceral lived on actually for a little while longer after that, but not anything really of note. Um, so they went from 98 actually all the way to 2017 when they were officially shuttered, but uh. I'm just, I'm salty about that one because that team made something really special with Dead Space 1 and 2, and I feel like if they had been given the opportunity to continue down that path, even just branching into perhaps a new IP or something like that, I think there could have been some opportunity for some more great stuff coming out of that, but uh, EA's bottom line said, no thank you ma'am, and um, shut them mm. down, so... Fuck EA is basically what I'm saying. But uh, yeah, number three, Visceral Games. Flashed the most brilliant right before they burned out. Indeed. Such a, such a shame. My number three, my middle of the pack, is Japan Studio. Ah, which, for the whole country. Yeah, Japan Studio. No, it was a subsidiary of Sony ah. from 1993 until really recently. Uh, well, not super recently, I guess, but until April of 2021. In fact, they have PlayStation 5 games on their resume. If you want to know who Japan Studio is, I don't think they're a major name in, in most people's vernacular in terms of game development. Probably with this, in this community, they, they might be. But we're talking about a company that developed Jumping Flash, Ark the Lad, Ape Escape, Demon's Souls. Mm. This is the company, Ico. They developed Ico. Uh, not Team Eco, some Wild Arms games. They made a lot of games for Sony. They really went out of their way to do some amazing work. Is everything good? Again, it's kind of like uh, THQ. Does everything they do land? No. Uh, is there probably a lot of things they were outsourced to do for other companies? Absolutely. But the things they worked on, the things they developed, the things they had their fingerprints on are, are absolutely stellar and amazing when you really go through and you look at their list, there's there's some like Shadow of the Colossus was part of 
Japan studio. It's just mind-bendingly important games that d belong to the Sony franchise that Sony just shuttered it. Sony themselves closed this studio. Mm. And I don't know what they really have in Japan anymore over there for PlayStation development because I know they've, they've shifted their focus to more Western audiences with like uh, The Last of Us, Horizon Zero Dawn, and God of War. That's their bread and butter now. And they don't really have anything that really appeals to the Japanese market. But this this was what PlayStation was for like from 1995 up until probably like 2015. That really identifying central vision for people who grew up on PlayStation and love PlayStation. And it's a shame that they're that it's gone. Japan Studio is is deeply missed. I I never really came to fully appreciate them until recently when I realized all the things that they had done and had created and and the memories that they did provide for me in terms of the PlayStation library. Uh I, I it would be higher if I probably did have those, but Japan Studio is is very prolific. I think very understated and underrated in terms of its importance to the video game industry over the years. And that's why it's my number three. It's a, it's a damn shame. It's gone. Number two. All right. Well, my number two, my, my penultimate pick is telltale games. Mm. Yeah. So, from what I've gathered, and I could be wrong about this, I don't know, um, but it seems like Telltale's games are like a very love them or hate them kind of thing. Uh, but I, I actually really enjoyed pretty much every everything that I played by them, including the, the Game of Thrones series. Walking Dead, of course, was probably their most popular one. A Wolf Among Us, which is a fantastic adaptation of the Fables graphic novel series. Uh, Batman, Tales from the Borderlands. I actually liked that more than Borderlands 3. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So Telltale started in 2004, and then they went uh, to 2018. They had a whole bunch of financial problems that ultimately ended up sinking them, um, which is a shame. But to me, their games were very much a natural evolution of the adventure game genre, which... Makes total sense, considering the studio was founded by a handful of ex-LucasArts folks. Um, in fact, it was the people that left LucasArts when LucasArts decided that they were no longer going to be focusing on adventure games anymore. Um, so go figure. And funnily enough, LucasArts is not actually on my list. Spoilers. Uh, but they almost, wow. they almost were. Um, and so technically, technically... Telltale still exists today, but it's really only in name. Uh, the vast majority of the original group of folks that developed all of these great titles with Telltale are no longer there. They got let go as part of this massive shift and what ended up being a somewhat temporary shutdown of the company and all of that. It was it was a pretty messy business. It was in the in the gaming news for quite a bit right around that. 2017, 2018 uh, period of time. And so I don't really consider the current iteration of Telltale to be the same thing. They've said that they're following up on some of these series, like they're going to finally do a second installment of Wolf Among Us. And we'll see how they turn out. I hope they're good, uh, but I'm I'm not I'm 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 not setting not myself breath, yeah. up for disappointment. So um 
but yeah, it, it was a shame because, you know, adventure point and click adventure games are not nearly as popular as they used to be. And I really think that the telltale engine that they built, even with some of its performance issues that got worse over time, I really think that it was a great way to evolve the adventure game genre in a way that could still tell a really good story without being like unnecessarily obtuse, like, you know, a lot of the old, like, um, King's quest games or things like that. So, so that is why they are at my number two spot. Kind of going back to Japan studio, where I said that a lot of the games that Japan studio made and not knowing who they were, uh, it didn't really impact who I was as a kid. So I, I did select a studio I did know that has a logo I do recognize and is now dead. And I'll, I'm going to rip the company that killed them in a minute. But I'm just going to start with saying the company that is my number two. And that is Hudson Soft. Oh, yeah. The B. One of the most important third-party developers of all time because they were like the first third-party developer that made good with Nintendo when the Famicom came out in Japan. You're talking about a company that developed... Bomberman that developed the Star Soldier series that developed Bonk that essentially was either that either developed or published the the majority of the library for the PC Engine or TurboGrafx-16, not to mention helped make a lot of games for Nintendo after that to include Mario Party that they helped make Bloody Roar and continued to make Bomberman Forever. And that's why now Bomberman is under the license of Konami. Fuck you, Konami. <laughs> fuck you. This is what all it builds to is fuck you. You have an entire library of amazing games that this developer esta essentially established the entirety, helped establish the entirety of the video game industry with that you just don't even fucking utilize, you fucking pieces of shit. I want to rip off your fucking head and shit down your throat for killing every property that Hudson Soft owns in addition to your own. I should include you on this fucking list, Konami, for the fucking travesty that you are for <laughs> killing this amazing company called Hudson Soft with all their great shmups, platformers, puzzle games, party games, and all the fun that they have provided to millions of people over the years. Free the bee, you fucking pieces of shit. Fuck Konami. And that's not even his number one pick. No. <laughs> Uh, fuck you, Konami. Always, always, uh, always take a, a good opportunity to say fuck Konami. Yes. Number one. All right. Well, speaking of number ones, I guess that leads into my my top pick for game companies that I wish still existed. And uh, that would be this. This one's actually this is a twofer. This is a combo. So this, this is the a combo pack of uh, Blizzard North and Flagship Studios. Mm. Yeah. So between the two of them, it spanned from 1993 to 2008. And I'm including both because honestly, the reason I picked this is, is more about following some of the, the influential people that were involved in this. And by that, I mean, David Brevik. Uh, the Schaefer brothers and eventually Bill Roper. And they were all part of Blizzard North, which was originally called Condor before they were bought out by Vivendi, who at the time was Blizzard Entertainment's parent company. And this was like right before the release of Diablo. And so uh, Condor was rebranded as Blizzard North. Um, so they were sort of like a branch of Blizzard Entertainment, but 
they were still able to operate entirely independently. So Brevik and the Schaefers, they were basically still running things just as they always had, but now they were called Blizzard North, and then they released Diablo. And then, of course, Blizzard North is responsible for Diablo 1 and 2 and all of the success that came with that. And then uh, Brevik, both of the Schaefers, Bill Roper, and uh, a pretty decent handful of others would eventually leave to form what would come to be known as Flagship Studios, which released a game called Hellgate London. And I know a lot of people did not like that game. Um, That game gets a lot of hate on the internet, but myself and my friends, we really enjoyed playing it. It was it janky? Fuck yes. Was it wholly unoptimized? Yes. Mm. Did the game engine have memory leaks where if you played the game for too long, it would slow your whole fucking computer down? Also, yes. But it was a fan fucking tastic idea. I loved the idea of the universe that they were trying to build with Hellgate London. Um, it, it was it was basically the natural evolution of like. Diablo and Doom. It's like if Diablo and Doom had a baby, which if you fucking know me at all is perfect. That's my shit. So (laughs) it was perfect. Um, and I just really wish that they had had the ability to follow the vision that they had and not get bogged down in the, uh, the, the custom engine that they built just honestly not being fantastic not having the resources to properly build it. Cause at the end of the day, they were still kind of an independent developer, right? They, they branched off and did their own thing. And even though they were pretty big names coming from blizzard North, they kind of struck out on their own. And with that, you know, they were kind of left to their own devices. And so they really struggled to make this big, uh, you know, MMO light kind of game actually work. And it's a shame Because if they had had the proper backing and funding and time to really flesh this out, ah, it would have been such a fucking good game. And the reason it was called Hellgate colon London was because it was only supposed to be the first entry into what was going to be a long running series where they expanded the lore to then start covering other major cities. Like they were going to have Hellgate Tokyo and uh, it was, ah, there was so much there and it's such it's such a bummer that that's never going to come to light. Like I actually purposefully went and found them because I never got them back when they first released, but I'm looking at it right now. I have all three of the Hellgate London novels on my shelf next to my Diablo archive. If that gives you any sort of indication. Oh, damn, man. Um, and, uh, man, it's such a missed opportunity. Uh, Hellgate London ended up getting picked up by, I think it was Handbit soft, uh, which is a Korean company, and they kind of tried to take it and run with it, turned it into a free-to-play kind of thing, and shocker, it didn't really turn out so great. Um, but yeah, just that whole story of like Blizzard North, and if you've ever seen what they were working on as far as Blizzard North's version of Diablo 3, it was a very different beast than what we ended up getting, and uh, I really wish we could have seen what that would have turned out to be. Um so yeah, so that that's why it's my number one. I have a lot of personal investment in it um, because of the game series and because of its involvement with Blizzard. And and just th- those guys were really influential in a lot of the games that were a big part of, uh, you know, my my gaming childhood, I guess. And so it's, it's really important to me. I guess the one side benefit of, you know, 
uh, flagship shutting down is the game that they had actually initially used as a as a test to test their engine for Hellgate London was called Mythos, which was more of a like traditional isometric Diablo style game that they were actually planning on releasing. And it actually got as far as having a sort of like limited global release, but it did not last very long. But that served as the foundation for what they would go on to eventually do, which was Torchlight. So there you go. So at least we got something out of it. Silver lining, silver lining. Yeah. Torchlight's fantastic. Love that game. Before I move to my number one, I I have to say the dates that Hudson was active for because it didn't say that in my little tirade of anger mm. which was from 1973 until 2012 there you go however i have a game company for my number one pick that's i think more tragic it doesn't make me angry it just makes me very very sad that's actually older than hudson and been around for a very long time and i think anybody our age who has ever been to an arcade who has ever played pinball uh, who has played video games in general will feel the sting as soon as I say this name. And it's Midway. Mm. Yep. And Midway lasted from 1958 until 2010. And what it really comes down to is the arcades, the arcades died. And this was an arcade company. And they did their damnedest to, to stay with the current trends, but it just wasn't enough. And it's understandable why. You're talking about a company that did make pinball machines. Not not major ones, maybe. I don't know how big I'm not a big pinball dude, so maybe they did, but they made they made pinball machines as un, as part of Bally Midway. Mm -hmm. They made some of the biggest arcade games that we associate with. Uh Spy Hunter, uh Cruising USA, uh, on the consoles, Gauntlet Legends, mm. not to mention Mortal Kombat. Uh, they <laughs> They they published they published Shadow Hearts uh, Covenant in the United States, NBA Jam, NBA Hang Time, NFL Blitz, Terminator Two Judgment Day. You're talking about like you go to an arcade, any arcade that's worth anything, and you're going to at least at least see two Midway games. You have to. Yeah, they're they're just that important to the arcade scene throughout the duration of their existence, especially starting the 80s and 90s. I know they started in 1958. They probably weren't making arcade games back then. OK, but like <laughs> like 80s and 90s, like what? San Francisco Rush, Hydro Thunder. Just, how did it's so sad that they're not with us anymore? And I don't think they could like the only way that you could survive making the games that Midway made today is if you're an indie developer and they just became too big that you can't become an indie developer anymore unless you're just kind of wearing the Midway name as a skin suit, which is why Atari's not on this list. But I just, when I look at the library and lineup of games and how big those games were and how everyone that our age can associate with at least five to ten games that Midway developed without specifically naming Midway themselves. Because I don't think they necessarily put themselves front and center like a lot of publisher and developers do, mm -hmm. especially big ones. It's it's such a travesty to know that 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 they don't exist anymore, and I hate it. 
And I can't get angry like with Hudson Soft and can't say fuck Konami, right? I, I don't even know who owns the right to Midway anymore. I probably just missed it. I probably easy to look up, but I I wish that we still had the arcade experience and had our new arcade games like we used to and everything felt fresh and you could like everything was a big deal again. And it just when I think of Midway closing down, that's what it reminds me of. And I know we're never going to go to we're never going to have those times again because it's just the, the way that information releases, the way that games release. You, you can't have another company like Midway be as successful as they were because it, it was a different era. And it was a fantastic era, but we're not living in that era anymore. And not to say that this era is necessarily terrible. It's just that they have their own unique qualities of greatness. And it's just something that Midway never fully adapted to. And it sucks. So that's my number one. It's it's Midway. I miss you. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, honorable mention, shout out to Acclaim, by the way. Yes. Also. Yeah. Uh, they kind of <laughs> well what do you mean they made a lot of shit i mean they did no, they made but a lot i of mean shit. they they were they were pretty much synonymous with gaming for quite a while yeah. like if you ever played a right. a licensed game on a home console i mean not that they were all great but uh yeah that was probably a claim so plus plus a whole bunch of other shit so like turok yeah yeah uh all right well now that we've made ourselves sad uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you would like to, uh, contribute to these here flight episodes and, uh, vote on, you know, which ones we talk about, what, what topics ultimately make it all the way to the episode stage, or, or perhaps even make some suggestions on what you'd like us to talk about, not just voting. Uh, you can do that by visiting our link tree. So all you got to do is head on over to linktree slash retro hangover, L I N K T R dot E E slash retro hangover and, uh, head on over to our Patreon and for even as little as one U S dollar a month, you can become a supporter of the show. And not only do you get the esteemed privilege of being able to choose these here topics, but you get access to uh, a whole bunch of extra content uh not least of which being our king of games 1992 tournament that is currently being aired exclusively on our patreon feed uh it will eventually come out to this main feed here but if you want to hear that early and uh get in on that action then uh that's how you do it and uh if if you know if you don't want to do that or maybe if you want to do that and there's more you're like you know what that's just that's not enough. I need I need more retro hangover more. in my life. Well, don't don't, don't you worry, because we got you covered. You can also head on over to the merch store, pick yourself oh. up a a fancy shirt or maybe a hat or a bumper sticker that you can slap on someone else's car when they're not looking. No, don't don't do that. But but maybe maybe do that. And uh, you know, there's that. There's our socials. There's also our YouTube channel where we upload uh, video versions of all of these podcasts, as well as the VOD recordings from our Twitch streams, which uh, Chris is going to tell you a little bit more about right now. So yeah, if you head over to Twitch.tv slash Retro Hangover, Retro, Retro, no, <laughs> if you head over to Twitch.tv slash Retro Hangover. You can find us playing video games on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern time, and we will be playing a game of some kind. 
which you know might be a midway game, might be a you know Blizzard North game. You know, you don't know, but you might want to go there and find out. Yeah. It's probably not going to be either of those because it usually isn't, but it might be. So, but if you go there, twitch.tv slash retro hangover, just come and hang out with us. There's a great community over there, much like our Discord, which you should also check out. But this one I'm going to tell you is a gateway drug, and that is twitch.tv slash retro hangover Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. So back to you, Shane. Fantastic. Well, I think that's it for us. So uh, until next time, play with your It Just Went Incredibly Limp Joysticks.